Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. Today is uh, episode three, and we will be interviewing Casey Westover. Uh, do you want to say hi, Casey? Hi. Very good. He should have said hi, Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, Casey. <laughs> You're so close. Um, so, Casey, um, is that your real name? <laughs> Drew comes up to me today at church today and says, should we start by asking if your real name's Casey? We're coming out hot today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're starting with some lies here. You're, so your real name is Casey? Uh, Casey is my real middle name. Yes. Oh. It is a real name. Could you imagine if we called you O'Brien instead of Jason? I would get very frustrated. <laughs> Kent is my first name. Casey is my middle name. When I was a little boy, mom had me as a baby and she said, uh, I want a cute little boy's name. And so they never called me Kent. She said, you can go by Kent when you get older. But when you're a kid, we're going to call you Casey. And it's stuck forever. And now if you call me Kent, I probably won't notice it. <laughs> I'll probably ignore you. <laughs> not, I'm not on purpose. I just don't hear it. It's just not a name I re that registers. So, but I still sign everything that way. Does that, yeah. does that count? I mean, so legally your name is Kent. That's correct. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so such as? Um, where are you in your life right now? Like, just like, what do you do? Okay. Where? Yeah, um, well, in my life right now, um, uh, we have five daughters and um, four of the five are in college right now. Um, so we just have uh, Lydia at home. She's our sophomore. And uh, so this is the first time that we have just been a house of one uh, with one child since Charlotte was born. So it's a whole new experience for us uh, as the house is getting bigger uh, with fewer people around. So, uh, but yeah. Um, and so because of that, I spend most of my time working um, or um, playing. Those are the two things I like to do the most, work and play. <laughs> um, sometimes work is play because of the nature of what we do. But um, yeah. Uh, Could you elaborate on what you do for work? Sure. Um, so uh, I know this is going to come up anyway, but uh, yeah. I own an event rental and entertainment company. And it is, uh, we do DJ work and photo boots and parties and weddings and rentals. And Inflatables. Things. Inflatables, There's bounce houses. So much fun. A little bit of everything. <laughs> all right well that's a, well thank you for that um i think we're gonna end the podcast there uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all there is interesting about casey yeah that's, that's all that's all okay um well that's your life now growing up how many siblings do you have i am uh, five of seven um there are seven kids in our family four boys and three girls um i am third to the youngest um my sister charlotte who's also in our ward is my little sister and then we have a little brother, Neil. Um, and so we're the younger three, um, which was an interesting experience growing up at the bottom end of seven kids. Um, but uh, but it was fun. Um, I grew up right here over on 66th Street in the house that my uh, sister lives in now. That was our house growing up. And um, just a block from the church and uh, just like her kids, just like Drew, we would run, yeah, we would run down the street. Uh, we would run down the street to, to church and to scouts and to seminary. And I don't ever remember ever driving to church, not once. I mean, we're just, we were the ones that everybody called, Hey, is the church unlocked or something going on at the church? We just, we were the ones that ran down there. Yeah. But anything else? I mean, how else I ex expound on that for you? Um, I don't know because I already know all of this. So it's like, there's nothing for me no to new ask. Questions. These are all courtesy questions. Here's a, here's a, here's a quick story coming home from church a block away. Uh, my older brother, Jeremy, for whatever reason, after church had stolen my shoe. And <laughs> I, I was probably 10, 11 years old and he was teasing me and what, you know, older brothers do that. And he was racing down from the church to our house, ran through the backyard and I was on his heels. I was maybe, uh, uh, 10 seconds behind him uh, and I was catching and I, I was, you know, screaming and yelling. And in the back of our uh, door at the time, I don't remember what your door looks like now, Drew, but there were nine little window panels in the door. And as I approached the door, he slammed it and I put my hand up to stop and I put my arm straight through the window <laughs> and sliced. I have a big scar on my arm right here, sliced through. And Jeremy being the boy scout that he was ripped the door open, ran out and he immediately direct pressure direct he kept pressure. saying we got to put direct pressure on this and uh, we got to the doctor the hospital because and 
we hadn't even looked at it. I just knew it was gashed open. And they said it didn't even have time to start bleeding because he'd gotten direct pressure on it so fast <laughs> that it just kind of <laughs> just held there. So so there's my, my run from church story. Well, no, I can tell you that that window is not there anymore since you broke it. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, how, many, oh, how many brothers and sisters did you have? So I had three brothers and three sisters. Um, and uh, yeah. Do yeah. you miss having like boys in a family environment? <laughs> That's such a good question. <laughs> I, I, I get this question all the time. Do you wish you ever had boys? And having had girls and not having boys, uh, I don't know that I've missed them. I mean, I'm thrilled with what we have. I, I can't imagine ever having anything other. However, um, uh, uh, we get the benefit of all my nephews, and they're a little bit like our children to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so. You know, uh, we get the boy experience through Drew, Drew Joel, uh, Caleb, and and Sam. So the grazers, the grazers. That's right. <laughs> no, you're always welcome to look through my cabinets. It's of okay. Course. So, is there anything specific or unique to being a parent with only girls? Uh, challenges, things like that, or or yeah, for sure. I I would say that. Um, uh, this is my observation. I don't know because I haven't had boys, but my observation is is that when boys have a a tussle <laughs> they get mad beat each other up a little bit and then forgiveness is given almost immediately and then we move on um girls don't seem to be that way girls don't fight it out they just are very emotional and they can hold a grudge for a little while <laughs> um but i've i've been very impressed with my girls i think that when that happens i always see them eventually soften and come back and apologize and you know they nobody wants that tension and so they've been they've been pretty good about that i start to try to stay out of the way <laughs> so my my oldest son is sitting in the corner here and he he smiled a bit when you you said that boys fight and then it ends right away and <laughs> seems to ring pretty true yeah. <laughs> i mean we just beat each other up a bit at our house and there we go to shoot each other with a Nerf gun or something like that. <laughs> it's interesting too when you're raising kids, you think about your own childhood and how you were raised. And our my childhood was completely different than than my kids' childhood. Uh, we were um, growing up. I mean, there, we had nothing. You know, we had the biggest house on the corner, but that's because our dad's uh, our dad built houses. <laughs> And yeah. So he built the big house, but not because we were wealthier by any means. In fact, our uh, we we learned to get along with very little um, in our family, and so I think that's a hard thing when you. Not that we have significantly more than our kid than we did as children, but it's it's different now, um, and uh, our sacrifices aren't the same uh, as we had to make as kids. And so, um, you know, you, I, for instance. I always wanted sugar cereal. We never got sugar cereal <laughs> growing up. I mean, it was going to be Wheaties or Corn Flakes or Cheerios, and it was the off-brand. It was never name-brand. That was it. That's what we had. And so the second I could start buying cereal, I loaded my cupboards with sugar cereal. That's all right. I all right. I, I have to – What what's your favorite sugar cereal? <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, I, I, I like Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries. There you ooh, go. yeah. Oh, my yeah, gosh. That's my go-to. I feel like after a while, they started to like, hurt your mouth. <laughs> I found <laughs> out the third bowl. I found out that other countries don't get the Crunch Berries. So there, there's like a Crunch Berry embargo. Or... <laughs> 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 there's like a tariff on like... They only have the regular Captain Crunch in other in other countries. Yeah, that's like good though. Have you been to other countries and just been like looking for Captain Crunch? I don't know. I heard from a friend that lives in Canada. He's like, we only get the regular Captain Crunch. So they have to smuggle them in when they come to America. I, I love and it though because it, it it breaks apart the roof of your mouth, but you still yeah. want more. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like it's drugs. Like, it like starts seeping up into. It's like fiberglass, <laughs> but it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was my digression. Oh, I was kind of his digression. I could talk about breakfast cereal all day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I thought was kind of funny, it was last week, or when we were recording with Lou, um, she started saying how uh, she had Neil in her classes when she first moved into the ward. So it's like the overlap. Is oh, like, you're connecting us. Yeah. It's my brother, Neil. Yeah. All right. So I think we have some questions here for you. Okay. Um, first off, you said you own like some sort of entertainment business of sorts. You rent stuff out. And there's one story on here, the dog and the wedding. All right. Please tell us more. So I, so let's go backwards first. Um, uh, when I got off my mission, 
uh, my brother invited me to go to work with him. Um, and he, um, he, and I said, what are you doing? And he says, I'm working for this guy. He's not a member of the church, but he runs a DJ company and I've been DJing for him. And I says, okay. So he invited me to go along and I went along and then this guy said, Hey, how about, how about you come work for me too? So for about six, eight months, I was DJing for him. And during that time I was uh, dating my wife. And so then we kind of got married in the middle of that. And she and I together said, we, we could probably do this. Why don't we start a DJ company? Um, and uh, I'm, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Like that's, that's been my, I just I never wanted to work for anybody. I don't know anything about business, but what I've figured out through trial and error and screw ups mostly, but, um, but we bought a set of equipment and started DJing. Um, and that grew into three DJs. And then the guy I used to work for about a year and a half later called me up and said, okay, I don't want to compete anymore. Are you at all interested in buying out my company? And so we bought his company, which at the time was called audio motion. And, uh, so it, we ran two separate DJ companies because not knowing enough about business, I didn't want to ruin the, 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 the reputation he had by all of a sudden dumping his name and taking on ours. And so we just ran two separate businesses and we did that for several years. And, um, we were able to grow our business to about 16 DJs at one point. Wow. Um, but now remember this was before yeah. MP3s. This was before online music. So in order to DJ and I, I started DJing at the tail end of vinyl, and at the beginning of cassettes, believe it or not, little <laughs> regular cassette tapes. And if you look at my attic, I have boxes and boxes of cassette tapes. And we had these special cassette decks that could fast forward and find the space between songs. And so we would get ourselves lined up and I would have 12 cassettes laid out in front of me and I would DJ off of cassette tapes. It was the weirdest thing. Um, uh, but we slowly grew and grew and grew our company to where we could do that. And then MP3s came out and crushed all of the DJ opportunities. Um, we still ran three to five, six DJs, but we didn't have 15, 16, um, cause you didn't need a DJ anymore. I could just get my own music. I could, you know, do whatever I wanted. Um, and so we decided we better expand. And so we started growing our business. We moved into some rentals, um, tables, chairs, dance floors, tents, um, and that's grown. And then we moved into some inflatables and, um, and, then we moved into photo booths and now we do just a little bit of everything. So that's kind of in a nutshell, our business. Um, but I, anybody and everybody who ever knew me worked for me, all my friends, everybody that was in the ward worked for me. I, I hired all my closest friends. My cousin, Jared worked for me and Jared and I went out to visit a bride on the property at one point. And, um, she was showing us how the event was going to be and where she wanted him to set up, which was inside the garage. And the whole time they were walking us around, there was this huge Doberman pincher, just this giant dog running around. It was massive, friendly, lovey, sweet dog. And it was just wonderful. And, but that was during our walkthrough. And so we thought nothing of it. And uh, then he went back to do the event. And when he got there to do the event, he went straight to the garage and opened the garage door. Cause he knew that's where he was going to set up. And the dog was in there and the dog got out. And he didn't think anything of it because the dog was running around while we were doing the walkthrough. And so didn't feel like the dog needed to be corralled. He got all set up and decided to walk around the corner to figure out, you know, what the rest of the spacing was. And he found the dog perched up on top of the cake and had eaten three quarters of the oh, wedding cake. No. It just had devoured it. And of course, Jared's like, I just ruined their wedding. And you know, a wedding cake can be really expensive, $800,000 to, to buy a yeah. wedding cake or more. Yeah. Um, and he just thought, I, I'm done for. But the bride and groom apparently loved their dog so much. Somehow in their head, they thought, well, this is cool. Now our dog's part of our wedding. Oh, and he was like, oh. <laughs> you know, and here we are, kind of a fresh company going, I can't afford to pay them back for a wedding cake. Uh, but uh, thankfully, they were they, everything worked out fine and they had a great time. But that's the dog and the wedding cake. I'm wondering how sick that dog got. Oh, after. I'm sure. I'm sure it was a, a horrible time for that dog. But uh, but yeah, I, we have several, several events, several things happened at events that. I've talked to a few of my colleagues. Why don't we write a book about this stuff? But we just never got around. I would read it. Yeah. yeah. Sounds funny. Interesting stuff. Do you have so many stories about me? Yeah. Let's, oh, I'll, I'll save those for your podcast when we're okay. interviewing you. Are you going to be on the interview? I'll be on chair. the interviewing side on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we could stay here. We can move on to another topic. 
Wait, so it was called Destination DJ, right? Yeah, we started out as Destination DJ. Then when we brought on Audio Motion, it was Destination DJ and Audio Motion. And then when we started renting stuff, we were like, Destination DJ doesn't fit. And so we, we decided we'd change the name to Destination Events. Yeah. And that's what it's been ever since. Now we, from where we started, we now have over 120 inflatables and I don't know, somewhere around 60 to 80 tents and um, DJs and photo booths and all of the stuff. So thousands of chairs, thousands of chairs, which you are intimately aware of. Yep. <laughs> I got to clean every single chair. Yeah, thank you to you and your friends. We love you. Thanks. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of destinations, I saw you put that you're a big Disney park nerd as well. And, mm -hmm. and I wanted to know how big a nerd. Tell me more about that. I don't know how big a nerd. I, I mean, I'm we're pretty big nerds in our family. Um, uh, I don't know where my passion for Disney came from, other than I think I, I I've actually analyzed this a lot with my wife. Uh, growing up, you know, coming from a broken home, having very little or nothing, um, you know, our vacations were always camping at the coast, or or when we would travel, it was stopping at a KOA. You know, our destinations were were nothing that I thought was exciting as a kid, but I heard of and saw all these other things that were fun. And uh, and so uh, something about Disney just hooked into my brain. When I got off my mission, my sister, uh, my oldest sister, who was living in California, took me to Disneyland and it just began a lifelong love of I, I, I think it's a, an escape from reality. And I there's something about that that's a, that was appealing to me. Um, you know, whatever, you know, I didn't have a horrible childhood, don't get me wrong, but, um, but there were plenty of bumps and bruises along the way. And I loved the idea of the fantasy of, of within these walls, it's nothing but happiness and joy. And, um, and so that kind of became a love. Plus I love technology. I love, I love the, the music, uh, we're Broadway music family, all that kind of stuff. And Disney kind of has a way of packaging it all together in a way that just feels great. It's, it's if it wasn't so commercial, you would say it feels like you're feeling the spirit there, but you know better. <laughs> you know that it is an artificial. Yeah. It's an artificial way of bringing that feeling about. But but I, I still loved that, uh, and so that's kind of become our passion. Right? We we just so my, I, I talked my wife into letting us go there for our honeymoon, and nice. from there we probably have taken a Disney trip at least once every two years since we got married, um, and pull the kids with us when we want to, but we like to go alone a lot too. So, <laughs> so, but yeah, we're, we're pretty, pretty deep in the kids are all very fascinated by it. And uh, Maggie, who's an incredible artist um, has drawn a series of pieces of artwork that we've turned into pins, uh, Disney pins that we sell and collect. Uh, and um, just, it's just turned into almost a little family business on the side. I wanted to bring that up. So you said you're like an entrepreneur. Do you want to like tell us about kind of like this just random side business that you guys just started? <laughs> it's not my side business. It was something Charlotte started. When she went to the Disney college program, she learned that there were people that were making their own pins and that mm -hmm. Disney didn't seem to care. Um, and it was just people that were creating artwork. And um, and uh, there's a whole online community about it. It's, it's huge. And so she decided to make a couple and her pins exploded. People just fell in love with them very quickly. And so she uh, then she started using her sister's talent, and there's there's quite a few pins that we've made. We're kind of backing off on it because it's not as Instagram has changed its algorithm. It's harder to sell things on there. So. It's not as lucrative. Lucrative. Yeah. And for those who are interested, I'm sure somebody listening to the podcast may be. Um, where can they find her? Uh, there's a little website. Well, on Instagram, it's the Dapper Pins, as the Instagram name, and we have a website, thedapperpins.com. But again, it's it's we sell a couple pins a week we're not we're not we're not doing volumes and volumes of pins kc wasn't also like sunflower pins that's her old one yeah oh that was the old one okay i'm staying on disney here right. so i'm glad we're talking actually because i'm connecting with you on a bunch of stuff that was similar to my childhood you know we didn't go to stuff like that either and when i got into my medical residency we we actually lived 30 minutes away from uh, Disney World. And for me, it was so special just being able to have that for our kids to go every couple weeks. Yeah. And we just had some awesome moments at Disney World. There were, I remember one night, it was just so special. It was when the fireworks were going off. We were just going over. Um, 
Splash Mountain and the fireworks started right as we were doing the descent. And I just remember moments like that. I wonder, are there any Disney moments that you remember or cherish specifically? Um, truthfully, anytime we brought, we brought the kids, we, we, we like to, Andrea and I like to be able to go alone occasionally. And with the kids in college, we'll do that. I, I make it sound like we go all the time. We don't go all the time. Um, but you know, every couple of years we do try to make a trip. Um, there's certain things we love about it, but whenever we have the kids with us, it's just, it's, you know, I mean, that's what it's all about for us is experiencing those moments. And when we go alone, it's a man, I wish we'd have brought the kids. Well, you know, where are the kids? Yeah. I want them to experience this. So um, it's really for me, Disney is about family. Um, it's, it's, it, we're looking forward to the days when we'll have grandkids to, to come and share some of those experiences with sadly Disney, you know, it's, it's, it's a, like I, I said before, I realize it's an artificial, uh, joy, you know, it's temporarily it's in the moment, but I do love the constant changing the innovation. So there's always something new to go back and experience. Sadly, you know, Disney and I are having a little bit of a riff right now. <laughs> Not, I mean, I, I love Disney. I just don't love some of the decisions they're making lately. Yeah. And so uh, we're staying away for a little while to try and see if some of that improves. Sure. I hear you. And I'll, I'll say too, Camille and I did our honeymoon at Disney. So yeah. I don't know what that makes us. If we have a special bond now, I don't know. But it just like goes up a tier in like Casey's oh, when, mind. Like... When we're done here, I'll take you into the, the, the Disney room and let you look at the, 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 pin of, the wall of pins that the girls have created. I love it. So I just remember coming over to your house and there's just like pins everywhere. I'm like, what is this? It's well, like it's, it's a new business. It's a it's a it's it's new to us too. So it's kind of fun to play with. Yeah. Cool. So we could move on to something else if Lexi or Drew we have questions or... do you want to start okay like move towards like your calling for the church for a long time? Just move for Sure. Um really quickly, is it you're not is well, let's say what you want to talk about. Is. What my current calling is. Well, what you want to go through time. my college? I was going to ask, like, because um, doesn't did Pre uh, President Ennis is he? Okay, Casey for a long time was the pornography addiction recovery group um, leader. leader. Yeah. Um, are you still that, or is it? So I had two callings: uh, the pornography addiction group leader, and I ran two classes Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays is an in-person class, and Thursdays is a phone-in only class. Um, and it's a group for people that are struggling with uh, pornography um, uh, or lust or sex addictions of any kind. Um, and so we invite, and it's a men's only group, 18 plus. And so we invite anybody in the surrounding area or who wants to call in to participate in that. Um, uh, when we first got called, it was about, uh, it's been several years, about six years ago when we first got called to that, I think. Um, and, um, and I mean, I, I, I could get a little deeper into my story before I go into what I'm doing now, but, um, I, I if uh, it's up to you, how that would be, that would be great to hear sure. to give us, I know, some, I know a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. that would be good to give us some context because sure. then I think we can build on that when we talk about your calling. I'll now. try and do this succinct when I do firesides, it takes about 45 minutes to go through <laughs> all of my, my craziness. But, um, uh, I, at my first exposure to pornography was eight years old. Um, I, uh, was, we was on a scout drive uh, we were, we used to do, uh, recycle drives and we'd drive around from paper box to paper box and pick up recycled papers. And we'd take them to, I don't know, a recycling place. It was always the moose lodge. I remember that we just dump them off and they'd give us hot dogs. It was a weird, <laughs> it's a weird memory, but that's what they did. All the scouts would go around and, but, um, we were unloading a, um, a newspaper box into the back of a pickup truck. And I was in the back of the pickup truck and up comes flying in front of me, a, a magazine that flew open and. That was my first ever exposure to pornography. And I, as a kid, had been taught pornography bad. This is evil. Don't um, don't look at it. It'll ruin your life. You know, all the true things. Um, but because I'd been taught it that way, no, 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 no. Um, I looked at it and I felt something. I felt an urge. I felt a hunger, even at eight years old. And I thought, uh-oh, I like this. There's something wrong with me. And that's what I thought. I didn't realize it with those God-given procreative powers kicking in before they were intended to. Um, but uh, what I didn't do is because I was ashamed by it. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't talk to anybody. And so that became uh, the foundation for several experiences in my youth where I came across, and it wasn't digital back then. It wasn't on any computers or phones. There were magazines or, or, or images or billboards, but it became the beginning of uh, a life of, of, of lying because 
I thought there was something wrong. I thought I was broken up and, and that um, what I was experiencing, clearly nobody else was feeling this. So there's, you know, I'm certainly not going to tell anybody. And so um, it took until I was getting ready to go on my mission at about 19. Um, uh, uh, I went in and saw the bishop and decided, okay, if I'm going to go on a mission, I want to, I want to really start right. And so I confessed um, to all of that and uh, he got me on my mission and I had a great mission. And then I got off my mission and um, uh, thought, okay, I'm cured. I, there's no problem. I mean, I've, I've served my <laughs> mission. I've done great. There's no problem. Um, now I just need to get married. You know, that was my plan. Meet somebody, get married. And, um, and all of those desires and hungers can be manifest and fulfilled in marriage. That was my thought. Um, that's where it belongs. That's where it should happen. And so I met my wife and we dated and I never told her about any of those issues because again, shame. I didn't want her to know. Um, and it didn't take, but maybe six months of marriage before, not because I wasn't, I mean, we were, we were everything a newlywed mo uh, couple should be and enjoying the, those parts of marriage that, that are there for us, uh, when you're married. Um, and everything was great. It was, had nothing to do with our relationship. It had to do with an addiction or, um, a compulsion that I had created throughout my life, calling back to some things. And then at that point, the internet had started to become a thing. It was dial up at the time, but the internet had started mm -hmm. to become a thing. Um, and I found myself um, sneaking to go look there. And um, so for many, many years of our marriage, that became, uh, that became a, um, uh, a secret that I kept from her. Um, unfortunately, um, I, I, don't get me wrong, I performed properly. I did everything right that I was supposed to as a father um, and as a husband, but there was this little secret in the background. And it wasn't until we'd been married 17 years, 17 years that, um, that, that, that secret came to the, to the surface. And that became very, very difficult for many reasons. Um, and, um, I went through my, my repentance process and my confession process. And that involved the Bishop and the stake president because some of the decisions I'd made had put it, uh, had put my membership in jeopardy. Um, and so I, um, went through that process and, uh, after all of that was done, um, I knew that I needed to get help. And so I started going to a group in Salem. It was the only one available. Um, this is 2014. Um, and, uh, there was a group in Salem and it was an in-person group and it was for people that were struggling with pornography specifically. And so we would make the drive every Wednesday night to go up to Salem and, sit in uh, a church run pornography addiction recovery group. And we did that for two years. And I eventually, after two years came to president Ennis and said, we need something closer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, and I, at that time I also came to the realization that I'm, I'm not unique. I thought I was, I'm not an individual. I'm not the only person in Springfield or Eugene or in the tri-state area struggling with this. There are other people that need this resource. And so I begged him, to get a group started. And he says, okay, we'll do that, but you're going to run it. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and so, so that's pretty much what happened is we started a group here. Um, uh, we started at the stake center in the high council room and we ran that group for several years. Um, and then um, I, I was pushing because I felt like I had met people that weren't coming to the group. I felt like there were some people that needed um, that would, that would call if they did, if they could, if they didn't have to show their face. And so he allowed us to start a second group, which was a phone in group. And so that started on Thursday nights. Um, and we had callers from all over the country. Um, I even had callers from out of the country, um, Canada. We had a brother who um, called us from China. Um, he was just living over there, but he called our group from China. Um, and so we would have brethren from the East coast all the way through some local, um, but mostly not local people. And they would always call into that group. And we just really felt good about that. Like we were providing a service for people that just didn't have a way to access that. Um, and then after a couple of years, Jody page, who is the local LDS family services, um, uh, counselor, um, she's over the addiction recovery program. Um, and she had asked Andrea and I, if we would serve as area coordinators, um, and an area coordinator is someone who manages the groups or helps get groups started. And so we did both for a time. And then recently, about a year ago, um, uh, President Ennis, Elder Ennis and Sister Ennis um, replaced us as group leaders for the local group. And uh, we still do the area coordinating, though. 
that was a long way to get to that answer, but that yeah. gives mm-hmm. you a little bit of a. Was okay. that when you were you were wearing like a missionary tags, both of you? Yeah, yeah. Is that as area yep. coordinators and as and as group leaders. Okay, yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah, church service missionaries. Before we get into more of your calling, I I wanted to go into your past a, a little bit. Yeah. So one experience I've had as a bishop working with people overcoming pornography, whether it's an addiction or not, is a lot of the time they're treating an old wound. Like they're they're numbing out something painful from the past. I wonder if it's possible to talk about that. Did that ever ring true for you? Was was it ever self treating something? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's true. Now, I, like I said, I I I was the, among the younger of five um, uh, of seven. Uh, I was number five of seven, um, and so um, there were a lot of things going on in my home that while there was a there was my mom got remarried um the gentleman she remarried was not very nice um and he took that out on us and as kids um so there was a lot of stuff there uh, my relationship with my father was never what i wanted it to be to this day it's it's still not um and i think um i don't know that that's treating an old wound for me necessarily but it was certainly an escape uh from my reality mm-hmm. um and um and that's what i used um the problem is is uh, the way pornography works, it shoots off those endorphins in your brain and it makes you feel good in that moment. But it also reinforces that action as something that makes you feel good. And so next time you feel bad, depressed, sorrowful, you know where you can feel, find at least a temporary moment of feeling good. And so we end up falling back on, um, on, on those kind of things. It might in the moment have done what I needed to to get me out of my headspace, but it also created a long-term issue that I couldn't overcome on my own. What was the turning point for you? I wish I could say that I had woken up. I mean, there's a million times where I had said, I got to stop. You can't you give this up. Don't do this anymore. A billion times. It's the cycle of the addict. It's never again. Okay. Well, just one more time. And then when you go one more time, okay, well, if this is my last time, I got to go deep uh, because I'm never going to do it again. So rationalizations and compromises all the way through. Um, and then the realization afterwards, the shame, the guilt, the um, the heaviness of what did I do? I'm, I'm never going to do this again. And then you set a goal. And then the next time you feel depressed or sad or pain, well, I want to numb that again. So where am I going to find that? And when you have a history, a series of constantly giving in, it's easy the next time to yep. give in. It's easy. And I've heard people say, and I've talked to a lot of people, well, just don't do it. Just don't do it. (laughs) You know you don't have to, just don't. And I don't (laughs) think those people have struggled with something that, and it's just just pictures. Don't look at pictures. It's not. It is a chemical change in the brain. It's not just bad people wanting to do bad things. That's not what it is. It's Satan taking advantage of an opportunity to train you to be reliant on something bad doesn't make you a bad person. It makes your habits lead you to bad things. And so, um, and that's really hard to distinguish because you think you're evil. I'm doing evil things. There's something wrong with me. I'm a broken individual. And, and that's what you begin to believe. So how does one stop thinking you're broken? Uh, and, and that is the process of going through recovery. Um, the addiction recovery program absolutely, um, changed my direction. Um, I, I have said a million times, I wish it was taught in every young men's and young women's class. I wish it was taught in elders quorums weekly because we don't even call it the addiction recovery program. We've changed the title. I've written across the front of mine is the atonement discovery program. It is the ability to learn about and understand how to use the atonement. And I think we hear from leaders and teachers and talks our entire life. Well, if you sin, repent. Just use the atonement. Okay, but how? Tell me how. How do I do that? Just saying it doesn't make it happen. This is the step-by-step, how do you use the atonement? Um, And I love that because I need it broken down for me. It's not just as simple as go and do. And it it sounds like you're volunteering yourself for another calling. Hopefully, uh, (laughs) President Fuller's not listening to this. But um, that rings true for me, too. And I feel this is Jason Keister's opinion that so many people are still just barely learning what the atonement is. And for me personally too, although it's an ongoing process, I feel like it didn't click until I was in my thirties. Um, and 
I love that you say recovery is discovering the atonement. That's beautiful and rings true. I wonder in this process, when you're working with other people or, or learning yourself, are there any books or resources that were particularly helpful to well, you? The, the best book, obviously, is the, uh, the Addiction Recovery Manual. Um, I, they're, the church is constantly trying to rework for, for 10 years. They've been telling us they're coming up with a new manual. So it takes a long time to come up with something new. Um, but because it's called the addiction recovery manual, I think a lot of people stay away from it. Well, I don't have an addiction. Um, I hear the, I hear the word manual too. And then I go, or program. (laughs) we refer to it as a manual, but yeah, but also you hear the word program. You're like, well, I don't need a program, you know? And so, but what a real, you know, so that in and of itself is the best. And those are free through your Bishop. You can get a copy of that. Um, they're a dollar through, um, through, uh, LDS, uh, through, uh, what is it? Deseret book or wherever, uh, they're a buck. So they're worth their, every family should have them and read from them. And we started doing that right after, you know, all the kids were still at home, uh, when my revelation came about. Um, and I, as I had mentioned before, um, it wasn't me being humbled and saying, I'm ready to change. It was me getting caught. Um, and sometimes I look back on that and I say, I wish I hadn't been caught. I wish I'd have just come forward, but Whatever the reason it was, if it started me on the process of recovery, then I guess I don't care (laughs) as long as I'm moving forward. But it had an effect on our entire family, obviously. Um, It changed the dynamic of our family um, in some really powerful ways. Um, I gave a lesson today um, that was about um, at church uh, in Elders Quorum that was um, overcoming struggle through Christ, finding joy in the trouble and the journey. And I would say that um, that our trial uh, that we went through as a family didn't just change who we are, but it changed our entire view of the gospel, of the church, of the atonement. And I hope that that is a benefit to our children because we became more transparent, more um, open. Um, and some of our kids actually came to us and said, I'm so glad, you know, not at the beginning. They didn't say that. There was a lot of hurt. But later on came to us and said, I'm so glad that you you were open about this because I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. And I thought you guys were perfect. And so I didn't know that I could talk to you about this. And it, it opened us up for a much more um, transparent and clear conversation with our kids. I, I had one more question and then we'll dive into your calling now. Sure. One thing I noticed as a bishop working with people is... I talked to an individual that's made some progress in overcoming pornography and they put together these streaks two weeks, three weeks. And I find that they tend to have this black and white view of I'm either recovered or I'm, or I'm still a sinner and I'm awful. And so one scenario that's tough for me is when I talk to somebody and they've relapsed and they feel like crap and they, they feel like they're a complete failure. And what I want to do and I feel as Bishop is look at all the good you've done and all the progress you've made. And, and we just need to stick with yeah. this. And I, I just wonder from your perspective, what do you, what would you say to somebody like that? That's at that point. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I would say good to you. Good for you. You, you slipped and you came back to see the Bishop. You slipped and you still showed up for group. You slipped and you talked to mom and dad. So that right there is a win because the adversary would have you shut up, tie it down. Nobody's going to know. So uh, first right out of the gate, absolutely, that's a win. Um, And I would celebrate that win and make sure that they know that. Secondly, um, the analogy we use is pennies in a jar. Um, And for every day that you have success, you put a penny in the jar. If you have success one day, and you fail the next day, there's still one penny in the jar. And if you have success 100 days and you fail on day 101, guess what? There's still 101. We don't dump the jar out and start from zero. There's still 101 days of success there. And so I love what you said. We build on success. We don't celebrate our failures. We celebrate our successes. And so I think reminding them that, yeah, you, you had a slip. And I'll tell you, I, I, I am in the process of recovery. I don't ever say that I am recovered because I don't want to get cocky about it. I don't want to get <laughs> overconfident and go, I got this. And so I, I am constantly every day. I start my day with uh, a prayer and I, I tell my heavenly father, I know what I'm going to come against today. And I, uh, I'm asking you to help me to be strong against the adversary because I know my weaknesses. 
being willing to recognize that you are flawed helps you be strong. I know that sounds strange, but that's where the strength come from. What does the, the Savior say? Uh, or uh, what, the, it was the Nephi. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Ether 1227, that he's given us those weaknesses so that, that he can strengthen us so that we can be humble. Then will he make weaknesses become strong. So it, if, if we were perfect and strong in every moment of our lives, well, what would we learn? Number one, uh, there'd be no growth. Uh, but number two, it's part of the process. That's God's process for us. So there, the, the, we celebrate every win. And if it's showing up for group, it happens every week. Uh, I almost didn't come today. I had a slip today. And we, we pour our love out to that brother, whoever it is. Yeah, but you're here. You're here. You made the choice. The adversary lost tonight because you showed up. So anyway, those are my thoughts. I mean, just this whole idea has led to like a conversation within my own self. Like, um, we look at our, our general authorities now and like they grew up 90 years ago. Um, and so it makes me wonder is like in a few more decades are our general authorities then, are they going to be like people who previously had struggled with pornography and stuff like that? Like they probably had some of those problems. I mean, just, it, yeah, it raises that question. Like, I think we live in a world now where, we used to be able to say maybe 80% of people will never see pornography and, and get away with it. I don't think we live in that world anymore. I think 100% of us are going to see something that's pornographic or that we consider pornographic. I don't think there's any way to escape it in this world. So then the question is, are we prepared for that? How do we, how do we arm ourselves for that? Because that's not going to go away. That's part of our world now. So I'm not saying embrace it, go out and explore it. No, what I'm saying is, that we need to put on the full armor of God every day so that we're prepared because that's not going away and we still have to live in this world. How would you walk people through preparing to like, how would you advise people to like deal with like just seeing on like a normal basis? Well, I mean, there's so many strategies. I mean, the strategies are really simple. Cut and run is number one. Nobody likes that one because it could damage your device or your computer. But if, you know, in my day it was on a laptop, right? So, uh, so, if you come across something, the first thing you do is slam the laptop down or you hit the power button and shut it down. You know, you, that's the first thing you can do. Just get away from it. Right. But sometimes we're in too deep and that's a little harder. So my biggest piece of advice, especially for youth uh, and for parents is to be conversational enough that your kids feel comfortable talking to you about anything and that uh, they trust you. Also, I would say as parents be flawed. Don't pretend you have never had an issue in your life. Don't pretend you have never sinned. Be honest. Be real. Nobody gets that title of sinlessness except for the Savior. The rest of us, we've all sinned. And so by, um, by being real and transparent with our kids, they will feel more comfortable talking to us because they know we're not perfect. We're all striving for perfect, perfection. Um, but yeah, I... I do what's called in the in the um, in the addiction recovery uh, guide. There's step ten is called um, daily accountability, and uh, it's taking a moment every day to prepare for your day. And I do that in the shower, and I'm showering, and I, I just think through, okay, what am I going to get encounter today? What issues could cause me a temptation today, and what am I going to do to combat that? And so that's part of my day now, every day. That's just who I am. I need that. Other people don't, but I do. And so every single day, I spend time planning how to navigate the traps that the adversary is setting for me. And by taking that time, I'm so much stronger when they come across. Uh, I've, I've prepared myself for it. I think in the process of setting this up, we've actually covered a lot of what your calling is now. Yeah. Is there anything particular to your calling that we haven't covered that we want to share? Yeah, I think we've talked about a lot of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite things about our current, my current calling, um, and this is uh, maybe something that's a little different than most. It's not part of our current calling, but um, we make ourselves available to wards and stakes, Andrea and I, um, and we will go and uh, offer firesides. Um, we've spoken at youth conferences. We've certainly done lots of um, Sunday meetings, um, and we share our stories and remind people that that real people, we are real people struggle with these kind of real things and, uh, and that you're not alone and that, um, everybody, everybody, no matter who you are, um, is going to tiptoe into this at some point. And so stop ignoring it. Let's start working on it. So when you're giving those firesides, I know what you do and I also know what 
Andrea does, but could you tell us what Andrea does for those firesides? Yeah, a lot of times she'll speak with Relief Society. Now, keep in mind, I speak with the men from my point of view quite a bit, and she will speak with their wives. Um, pornography, while it's not entirely um, a, a, an issue for men, it's probably 70, 30. Uh, men uh, struggle with it uh, than women. And so she shares our story from her perspective um, and how the atonement helps has helped her heal um, and has helped her overcome the doubts and difficulties that have come through my actions. Um, and it's what a beautiful lesson it is that the atonement doesn't just heal the sinner. Um, it heals those that are wounded by the sin. Uh, I often refer to it as a landmine. I was standing on a landmine for years, hidden underground. Nobody knew about it. I was standing on it. Didn't want anybody else to know I was standing on it. But the second I decided to reveal what I was going through, I stepped off the landmine and shrapnel went in every direction. And everybody was harmed. Everybody that was near me, those that work for me, my family, my children, uh, everybody. Um, and so they're wounded by my sin. Well, how are they healed? They're, they didn't sin. The atonement doesn't just cover sin. The atonement covers everybody's pain and every wound. And we learned through this process, we learned the atonement through this process. This was our first really digging deep and trying to figure out how to how to use the atonement in our lives. And we, through many, many nights, uh, sleepless nights and crying nights and uh, uh, just days and days and days of pain and doubt, we are in a new place, a very, very new place than we were before. Um, and uh, And that's healing that has come through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Um, he truly knows everybody's pain, including Andrea's, um, including those that have been harmed by my sins. So, and my favorite part about talking about the atonement, I get a lot of times, well, how are you so comfortable talking about such an ugly sin and such an embarrassing thing? It's because the atonement. I, I'm not accountable for sins that I've repented for. The Savior's taken that. I'm not embarrassed about using the atonement. I'm not embarrassed about repenting. That was his plan. That was his gift to me. So me hiding that doesn't help anybody. So at this point, I've just decided that that's, that's part of who I am now. I talk about my journey. And uh, if that offends somebody, I apologize, but I think it'll help more than it'll offend. All right. Do you want to switch topics really quick? Um, did Lex have a, do you have a question? Um, yeah, I think we're going to dive more into these three stories from your life. So we heard about the dog and the wedding. Um, you want to talk about psoriasis first? Sure, or this is the a good time to talk gift? about psoriasis because it dovetails into this. Is this the lobster story? <laughs> Stop now. Okay, really quick. What is psoriasis? All right, well, uh, maybe, maybe uh, uh, Bishop Keister, Dr. Keister could tell us what psoriasis is because I'm not sure I have a good definition of it, but... Um, I'll just tell you my experience real quick. I was swimming. I was trying to get healthy. Um, I was swimming uh, at the at the pool. And I got out of the pool one day, and I saw a couple spots on my body. And I was like, I, I don't know what they are. Um, and um, uh, I figured, oh, well, they'll go away, whatever they are. They didn't. They got worse. Um, they were on my chest. They were on my arms. They were starting to creep up my neck. And there were just these red, scratchy spots. And they itched like crazy. Um and, uh, but I did not want to, I didn't want to go to a doctor. I just figured, I, you know, I'll just deal with it. So, um, I started doing some research and I went to Google and they said one possible, uh, thing might be psoriasis, um, which is kind of a, it's like a, a plaque. Uh, I don't know. Is that, is, that's a good description. It's, it's an scaly technically like getting a little nerdy with it. It's an autoimmune condition where your body produces antibodies against the skin. Okay. Um, but what that really ends up being is just like you're saying plaques on the skin that can be just a few spots or it can be covering nearly your entire body. Yeah. Well, this blew up into my entire body. Um, and, uh, as it spread, I started wearing long sleeves and turtlenecks. You know, I just didn't want, I didn't want to deal with it. And I found some online remedies, um, and I tried those, but not really hard. Um, and, uh, finally, finally creeping up my neck onto my face, into my scalp, 
I decided I have to get this dealt with. Um, so I went to um, a dermatologist who happened to be a member of the church um, and um, doctor, he's the bishop. Right? Was it Troy Ritchie? Yeah. Dr. The bishop Ritchie. of the YSA word YSA now. Yeah. yeah. I went over to, to Bishop Ritchie and, um, uh, and his first question, and keep in mind, this was during the time that I had not yet revealed uh, that I was struggling with pornography. I was deep into my pornography issues at this time. And one of his first questions, and this rings true to me just because I, I was listening with spiritual ears, struggling with this. And he said, well, do you spend a lot of time in the dark? <laughs> right? No, he was asking, <laughs> you know, where do I work and do I get out in the sun? And I heard, do you spend a lot of time in the dark? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, uh, too much probably. Um, how about stress? Is there a lot of stress in your life? And yeah, this secret was becoming almost impossible to cover up. And I was still trying to cover it up. And um, he gave me some ointment and he said, well, I want you to take this ointment and apply it like every hour on the hour all day long. Just Everywhere. keep yourself lotioned up with this. And I, when I say I was covered head to toe, I mean every part of me. To put the lotion on, I would have to get fully undressed. <laughs> so it was unlikely I was going to do that eight times a day. It just wasn't. And so the lotion treatment failed because I wasn't dedicated. It's like it. a gallon tub of lotion. No, it wasn't. But or you just like have a it was a survey. cream. It was a cream. It was probably a steroid cream, but it was a cream. And then I went back to him and he says, so it, I said, it's not working. And he says, okay, well, um, how about we give you a steroid shot? And I was like, well, why don't we start with that? <laughs> and he <laughs> gave me a steroid shot and it went away. And he said, but the downfall with the steroid shot is that this, it might stop it. It might be done, but if it's pervasive, it'll come back. And lo and behold, three weeks later, I was covered again, head to toe. So I went back into it. I said, what do I do? I, I really want, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I need to get this dealt with. It's my spots are showing everywhere. And he said, well, let me take you across the clinic. And he took me across the clinic and there was this room and we walked into the room and there was this giant machine that looked like the chamber that Darth Vader steps out of in Star Trek or Star Wars. I know my Star, Star Wars. Yeah, Star I was Trek. about to say, you're the Star Wars fan. I know, I can't Star I Trek over here. Empire Strikes Back. I'll get more specific. Okay. Um, or Rogue One. He says, this is called the light box. And he said, what the light box does is it's full of ultraviolet tubes. But he said, this is different. These aren't the ultraviolet rays that you get in your lights above you. These are UVB bulbs, not UVA. And the difference is UVB is just going to put some light out. But UV, I mean, UVA will put light out. But UVB is like the sun. It will not just cook you on the outside, but he said UVB will go through your skin and kind of cook you from the inside out. <laughs> and he said, so this is going to be a very painful process. You're going to get very burnt, but it will it will ultimately cure your psoriasis. Amazing. And so I showed up for my first treatment, and uh, the nurse showed me into the room. She says, "We're going to set the clock on the on the machine to 45 seconds." And I was like, "Oh wait a minute! I'm giving up my whole day to be over here. What, 45 seconds? Crank this thing up. Let's 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 do three <laughs> minutes. Let's do five minutes. Why why only four? Nope." She said, only 45 seconds. And she's then pointed to a little button inside that said, emergency stop. And I'm like, what am I getting myself into here? <laughs> so I step inside. She, when you're ready, you hit a button and it just lights and it flooded with light. I mean, it was so bright. Um, you have to close your eyes almost because it's so bright. And um, I stood in there for 45 seconds and then it went ding. And at the end, I looked at my pale splotchy skin and nothing had changed. And I said, well, this is probably a worthless process. And uh, so she said, you do okay? And I said, yeah. And then I went home and I was supposed to go three times a week. I went home and um, that night about three in the morning, I got up and I looked in the mirror. I had to go to the bathroom. I looked in the mirror and I was completely burnt, like just to a crisp um, and just in so much pain. 45 seconds in that machine just roasted me. And so I went back on Wednesday and she said, how'd you do? And I said, I am, I'm hurting. She said, okay, good. Well, we're turning it up to a minute. And I said, no, <laughs> no, please. She goes, nope, we are. And so she turned it up <laughs> and we did a minute. And then the first two weeks of that process, uh, I got so sunburnt that um, I got those fever sunburns, you know, where your body's trying to heal itself. And I was feeling sick and achy and, um, but I stuck to it. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Um, and then, um, uh, at about three and a half weeks, I started showing up and my 
sunburn was turning to this gorgeous tan. I was starting <laughs> to look golden brown. Uh, and uh, at the end of six weeks, not only was I beautifully tan, um, but my spots were all gone. Uh, there were none left. Um, and it was just a, a, a that's the story. Um, the analogy that I've drawn from that through my experience in life is that a lot of times we try to fix things on our own. A lot of times we, we try to cover up our, uh, our, our blemishes. Um, but it's not until we seek out the right physician and apply the recommended medication uh, the way he's intended that we can actually start to heal. And in this case, the medication was light. And so I love that analogy that the light of Christ in our lives is what heals. The light of, uh, that comes through the healing of the atonement is what purifies. Um, you could call it the refiner's fire, but you come out the other side spotless. Um, and I just, I just love that. Uh, I also love thinking about the fact the first time I got in there, just how bright it was. But the more I allowed myself to be in that light, the more comfortable it became, the more I wanted to be there. And by the time I was done with my treatment, I would spend five, six minutes in the box. It wasn't 60 seconds. It was getting more and more every time. And my tolerance became higher and higher to that light. And I love that thought because the more time we spend in the presence of God, the more we become like him, uh, the more we um, want to be like him and the more we can appreciate that. So that's my, that's my light box story. Just super tan, just in the presence of that's God. Me. Super, not anymore. <laughs> not, oh, yeah. to, not, not until uh, the spring starts. <laughs> Before you go on your next Disney cruise, you just uh, go yeah, back just to go visit Bishop the, the psoriasis is back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't battle it much anymore. I still occasionally get uh, it on my head. Uh, but other than that, I'm, I, I do pretty well with the psoriasis. When you're in the light box. <laughs> Where are you going, Drew? Um, this is a good question. Think before you speak. Uh, no, this is fine. I think you should be fine. Um, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so you have to like get all the way undressed, right? Mostly, yeah. Mostly? Yeah. Okay, it's gonna be like, is there like sunburns in places you don't normally get sunburns? <laughs> Mostly undressed. Okay, never mind. <laughs> um, this can be edited, right? No, no, no. This we is, don't this edit is good. This is, this we is, always say we're gonna edit it, yeah, and then we don't. No, no, it's the raw cut. The raw cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, do you want to do one more story? What are we looking at time-wise? We're good. We're we're, we're almost an hour. Okay. Let's do one more story, and then I have one more question. You guys want to do the tithing gift, then? You want to tell sure. us about that? Yeah, it's just a, a, a quick story I sometimes share when we talk about tithing. Uh, I mentioned we grew up uh, in a home with very little money. Um, uh, divorced parents, um, uh, single uh, parent income for the most part from my mom. Uh, there was contributions from my dad, but they were, they were hit and miss a little bit during that time. Um, seven kids, um, and uh, it was, you know, there was very little. Um and uh, we were approaching Christmas and there wasn't much this year for Christmas. There wouldn't have been. Um, and uh, we, I think I, I'd asked my mom what we're going to do for Christmas dinner. And it was going to be fried or scrambled eggs. You know, it was nothing special. It was going to be whatever we could afford or had in the, in the cupboards. Um, and I happened to be um, uh, uh, walking home from, for whatever reason, as a 10-year-old kid, through the high school into Thurston Park. Um, I was coming that direction and uh, back towards home. And as I was walking through Thurston Park, I looked over in the bushes and there was this ham, full-size wrapped packaged ham sitting in the dish bushes. And I, I don't know, I was a dumb 10-year-old. I was like, oh, ham, let's take it home. <laughs> so that's what I did. I picked up the ham and I carried it Just home. Just street ham. And I showed my mom. And she said, what is that? I said, it's a ham. I found it in the bushes. She's like, you did not. Where Did you steal this from the store? <laughs> I mean, and there was phone calls to the store. Are you missing a ham? Did somebody steal it? And they're like, we don't think we're missing a ham. I guess it's yours. Um, and, and it's a minor little story. But for us, that was a huge moment in our lives. It was... It was a, we may, we may not have much, but my mom always, always, always paid her tithing. And she always, we, the Lord always provided. I mean, always provided when we needed it. We didn't need ham for Christmas dinner. We didn't. But we always have looked at that as that is a blessing of paying your tithing. When you, when you uh, pay your tithing, the Lord opens up the windows of heaven and he pours out a blessing upon you. And, you know, we should be willing to receive it. And so I just have always loved that as a, as just a reminder that, 
that I don't need a ham now. I, I, I can pay my tithing. I don't need a ham. Those blessings come in other ways. But um, for us at the time, it was tangible. It was physical. And the Lord saw our needs and he, he met them. How has that helped you more moving on to adult life? Because as a business owner and an entrepreneur, you may have kind of times of feast and times of famine. Whereas, you know, somebody like me who's employed, it's a little more steady for the most part. Yeah. I'm curious about that. Well, I will say in our home, Andrea is our is our financier or our financial person. She pays the bills, she pays the tithing, she does the she does all of that. And I just know that she's doing it, so I don't think about it much. Um, I'm going to try and move over here so the sun's not right in your eyes. Thank you. <laughs> um, but um, she she does that. I do ask her occasionally, do we, did we pay our tithing this month? You know, just to make sure we still are paying our tithing. Um, but she does that. But I will say that um, that that has never been a challenge for us. I know that for some that tithing is a challenge. But growing up for us, I think because of the lessons that we learned from my mom, um, that I that 10% has gone first. It's not mine. We've always thought about it that way. I don't smoke because I've never had a desire. I don't drink. Uh, even though it's been offered, I don't have the desire. Those are not hard things for me because the way I've chosen to live my life. And I think tithing is just one of those things that, we choose to pay our tithing and yeah we've gone through when you're when you own your own business it's it is up and down covid was no picnic we had to let all of our employees go and basically me and drew delivered everything you know that year um we made enough to cover our bills and uh and we survived but 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 we we also been, uh, uh, give credit to god for that that you know we didn't have to go out and take a bunch of loans we didn't have to go do a bunch of things that that we might have other had to do we we really feel like we've been blessed um my wife tells a story about about that and we right at the beginning of covid we um we were looking and looking and looking we were calling everybody who needs a bounce house anybody anybody want a bounce house um and the Delunas called us and rented a bounce house and the bears called us and rented a bounce house and they gifted it to someone else. And, and just so many people came and, 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 uh, and helped us uh, in our time of need. And so uh, we were, we're grateful to them, but we, we also see that as a blessing of, of uh, tithing. So sorry. I got distracted. I, just walked in the I didn't realize you had a cat. And one of two. If there's like an animal in somebody's house, it just trumps everything for me. He's a sweet cat too. He'll come and say hello to everybody. He's so. a big cat too. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, he's a, he, he likes to eat. <laughs> All right. Well, one more question before we wrap up. Um, this is always my favorite question. What is your favorite color? Oh, I, I wrote yellow down on your little form. It's better than What's cougar blue. Better I, than I, I shut up. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why yellow. <laughs> I, I think I've always been a happy person. I've been a laughy, jovial person. And yellow seems like a happy color to me. So whenever somebody asks what's my favorite color, I say yellow. Um, I like, don't have any yellow clothing. Nothing in my house is painted yellow. It's it's just yellow seems like a pleasant, warm color. And so that's always been my my answer. Wait, Mickey Mouse has some yellow on him, right? There you go. Yellow shoes. You, we'll go with that. You're like, I was, the first time I saw his shoes, like fell in love with the color yellow. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming on to our podcast. Uh, yeah, thanks our, for having me. This has been fun. You're our third, and as you know, three is the magic number. Huh? Oh, are we not done? Oh, we have one more question for you. Sorry. Yep. I always forget about this part. So, no, and, and thank you, Casey. This is I'm, I'm waiting for the episode we do where it was like, oh, that wasn't that great, because they all seem to be awesome. Yeah. Um, so thank you. We really enjoy the stories. It's gonna be it's gonna be a nightmare to tell that person that they. <laughs> <laughs> yours was no. good. So <laughs> yours wasn't so good. We're gonna cut this around forty five yeah. minutes. So you may not want to post this one. Yeah. But so our connect our our podcast is called the Connection, and as our last question every episode, we want to ask, how has being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints helped you to better connect with our Savior Jesus Christ? Hmm. Well, I hope I hope I I've. I've testified to that a, a little bit during the podcast already, but um, uh, without question, it is the defining, uh, it, it defines who I am. Um, uh, my membership in the church and my relationship with the Savior is uh, is directly uh, connected to um, uh, my membership in the church. Um, my relationship with the Savior, or the other way around, directed to, uh, connected to the relationship, my relationship with the Savior. Um, I'll tell you, um, uh, 
you know, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've served in a lot of callings. Um, uh, it hasn't been until the last eight, 10 years that I have really felt that I have a true, clear, understandable, visible, tangible relationship with the Savior. Um, uh, and I would uh, just echo that it is through not just trial, but through, and this is what we talked about in church today, the opportunities that come from trial that allow us to strengthen those ties with the Savior or to drive a wedge between us and our Heavenly Father. Um, and we get to choose. Um, and uh, I think a series of positive choices can't help but lead us closer to um, to Him. So uh, I am, I'm, yeah, I am, I'm a, I am a, changed man because of my relationship with the savior um and uh because of let me just say one more thing because of my wife's relationship with the savior her relationship um uh, helps me be stronger i am weak without either of those two they're my they're my rocks so uh, i need them in my life to to keep me focused so but I, i i think that that's not unique to me i think that is that is as we go down this journey of of understanding our relationship, we all begin to realize that that you know we can't do any of this on our own. We just can't. We can't do it on our own. And so then we begin to seek. Well, who is it that can support us and strengthen us? And and that's always always going to be the Savior. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again. I'll repeat what I just said before. Thanks for coming on our podcast, The Connection. Um, and for all our listeners, please like or rate. Give us a five star if, you, if you're feeling generous um, and share it with all your friends and family or just anyone like some random people like your science teacher or your boss. We'll just go go like that. <laughs> um, and I think um, Simon and Garfunkel put it best that Jesus Christ is our bridge over troubled water. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Wait, 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 wait. So thank you. Um, um, yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. All right. Bye-bye this episode of the connection podcast we're on most podcast carriers so please like and subscribe the show's art is done by joel boreen and the music is provided by drew boreen we look forward to connecting to you next time until then take care <laughs>